0: Right now in the pandemic, you were telling me that you've had to deal with a lot of crisis communications. And Relevant is owned by Stephen Ross, right? So he has a bunch of other companies that he'll use you for.
1: <laughs> to some extent. I mean, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the owner of Related Properties, one of the smartest, most successful, you know.
0: Billionaires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a billionaire,
1: <laughs> owns Relevant Sports. And when COVID hit and a number of these companies were having to do different things to try to survive, They were doing different initiatives to try to help people in need or their employees. I think that's part of his family of businesses. Everyone kind of lends a hand to one another. And for me, growing up, as you know, because you didn't hear me shut up about it when we worked together, (laughs) working for the owner of the Miami Dolphins is nice for me as well, because I can openly cheer for my hometown team.
0: You just heard a little bit from Ben Sisenko, who had multiple cool jobs that we'll dive into in a moment. Welcome back. To bucket list careers, I'm Crystal Laurie, and everyone I talk to on this podcast has made a dream job a paying one. We share their journeys and get advice. It often requires a pivot. Mine was starting this podcast after years in TV news. A lot of it is new to me. Sometimes I've noticed that anchor voice creep back in. So forgive me if I sound a little too newsy at times. (laughs) My goal is to reveal more of my authentic voice with each episode. Be more myself. Ben Sisenko is our guest this week, and we used to work together in TV. He did sports on a nightly newscast that I anchored. Ben worked at several stations around the country, both in sports and as a general assignment reporter. He switched gears to become press secretary for the mayor of Sacramento at the time, former NBA star Kevin Johnson. And Ben was part of the team that saved the Kings from moving to Seattle. Ben now works in sports marketing and communications for a Stephen Ross-owned company in New York, which operates international soccer tournaments. They also do media, and Ben produced his first documentary recently that debuted on ESPN+. All of these pivots that stayed true to his love for sports have landed him right where he wants to be in his career, getting after it and getting paid. He has some great tips for us on helping you identify what you were meant to do and other takeaways to share so you don't want to miss it. Let's listen in. It is so great to have you on the show. I think the last time we did something like this was on the anchor desk and I was tossing to you for sports.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Many years ago.
0: Oh, please. We're not going to get into that. So Uh when I launched this podcast, I thought you were a perfect fit because you've had multiple cool jobs. You've had some interesting pivots along the way in your career path, and we're going to get into all that. And you really are at a place now where you seem super fulfilled and pumped about your position at Relevant Sports Group. We're going to talk about all of it and your evolution, but let's go back to like the early years of Ben Sisenko.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> were you an athlete in high school? Because I know you were always interested in sports and had the sports center dream, but I
1: was an athlete. I played on the basketball team. I grew up playing sports. I was, I guess, limited athletically. So I knew that my ceiling was high school sports. <laughs> so went to college, just a, a huge sports fan. Thinking about potentially a career in sports,
0: right? You actually studied history at UPenn, and then yep. you decided you were going to go for uh, sports and sports
1: casting. Yeah, I, I had the same dream that everyone who achieved their athletic dreams had, which was I wanted to be on SportsCenter. My university at that time didn't have a broadcast program. I had the conversation I think a lot of aspiring broadcasters have, which is should there be a grad degree associated with it? Yeah. I made the decision to do it because I just didn't know how to be a broadcaster. So I went back to my hometown, University of Miami, did a one-year program where it was basically a crash course in editing stand-ups, was able to intern in Miami and make a resume tape. And then I started sending out job applications and resume tapes and literally got rejected from everyone.
0: Oh, I remember those days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did not get one call back. And then finally I get a call from Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, which is on the border of Wyoming and Nebraska. The closest big city is Denver, which is four hours away. Omaha is eight hours away. So you could see how isolated it was, but it was the only callback I got. So I got in the car and drove, I don't know, 20-something hours and and started my career. It had to have been one of the smallest stations in the country. It had like three people on the entire staff. Spent a couple months there. And then the owner who was from out of state flies in and he's like, I'm shutting the station down. Oh, wonderful. I called home. I'm like, I guess I'm coming home. And, and my parents are like, well, you're in literally the center of the country. So if you're looking for another job, why don't you stay there? My rent was like $200 a month. From there, I got a job in North Dakota where I spent a year there, which was interesting. And then got the job at RNN where we met. So I spent three and a half years there.
0: So you bounced around to small markets, small stations, you kind of paid your dues and your highest level gig was, I think, in Sacramento, right?
1: Correct. So I was doing sports in Connecticut at a station you worked at at to WVIT. I spent about two years there. I was doing news and sports and I was in a really good place in terms of being a weekend uh, sports anchor there. But I got an offer in Sacramento to be the lead daytime reporter. But the broadcasting industry, as you know, is tough, and the hours were so terrible, and I was trying to start having a more normal life, so I took the job. But, you know, I was covering things that were different than why I initially went into broadcasting. I wanted to be a sports guy, and when I met you, I was doing sports too, and, and you saw how much I enjoyed that. But here I was doing things that certain people love, but it just wasn't for me covering fires and murders and things like that. It just wasn't where my passion was, so I decided I, I wanted to switch careers.
0: And so you were in Sacramento, things were going well, but you met someone in communications, I believe, and then something sparked your change. Yeah. So talk about that. Speak to that.
1: When I was in Sacramento, obviously, it's the capital of California, and I was, I was meeting kind of political folks. It's like a mini Washington, D.C. It's very politically focused. And this was around the time of the 2012 election when um, President Obama was running against Mitt Romney. And our station would have the talking heads come in, the Democrat and the Republican. And I started to think what a career in political communications would be like. You know, could I work for someone at the Capitol and do something in that space? I know that people often move from broadcasting to PR. I remember asking him, what do you think about me looking for a career in political communications? And he casually throws out, why don't you go work for the mayor? His press secretary is leaving. Now, the mayor at the time in Sacramento was a guy by the name of Kevin Johnson, If you're a basketball fan, you would know that he was a star for the Phoenix Suns in the 80s and 90s. He was a multiple-time all-star, played against Michael Jordan in the finals. So for someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, he was a legend.
0: Yeah, like a big NBA star turned politician. Interesting.
1: Exactly. And he was doing big things in Sacramento. So I was introduced to him. I met him at a coffee shop. We chatted. I had 15 interviews with everyone on his staff, his wife. And then finally, I got the job. So I gave my notice, and all of a sudden, I was the press secretary for a big city mayor, not knowing what I was doing at all. I was literally thrown into the fire. About a week after he hired me and I started, the big news in Sacramento was that the Sacramento Kings were sold to an ownership group in Seattle for a record price, and it seemed that it, as if Sacramento would lose their basketball team their only professional sports team, which would have been absolutely devastating for the city sure to have a NBA mayor, have that on his resume, losing the NBA team was something he didn't want. And he stood up and fought for it. And in one of the great comeback stories of all time, he was able to save the team. So I was a part of that amazing project. He had a lot of accomplishments. It was an incredible four years. I learned a lot. He kicked the crap out of me (laughs) uh, in a lot of ways, taught me a lot. But he comes from a, a sports world. And in a lot of ways, he was like a coach.
0: Bringing your news background to the job, how did that help you? If anyone's thinking about leaving news to have a normal nine to five schedule, that coveted Monday through Friday job, yeah. right? When you're in news, that is just like
1: unheard of, right? One story that's funny, and, and I know you spent a lot of time behind the anchor desk. So So you'll have to go back to your reporter days for this. But coming straight from being a reporter for two years and being in a live truck, all day and finding bathrooms wherever you can find one and, (laughs) and eating cold meals or fast food. My first day on the job, I was sitting at, at my desk and the chief of staff walks in and he goes, Ben, do you want to go get lunch? I'm like to bring back. He's like, no, you want to go sit at a restaurant and eat lunch. (laughs) And I was like, what, what? Yeah. Is that, he's like, that's what normal people do. So (laughs) yeah, there was a little bit of a, a change in that, in that respect, but Being someone who was in news and a reporter before is a great differentiator for me. First of all, I think I had a great understanding of what the reporters on the other side were going through and understanding their deadlines and what were the expectations of their bosses. I also know that reporters, when they have a million things going on, know they like things made easy for them. So I kind of had an understanding about how to prepackage stuff for them. Right. And I think when there were times where things were tough and working for a big city mayor, there's always different controversies and things that could happen. I think the fact that I was one of them and had a relationship with them prior earned me some credibility. But I will also say that just because you worked in news doesn't mean you understand PR. And there was an entire world that I had to learn that was not instant. So it was good that I had that experience, but I definitely had to get a lot of on-the-job training. After spending four years there, my family and I wanted to move back east, where we were from. And I was hired by a firm called Hiltzik Strategies, which is a strategic communications firm. A guy by the name of Matthew Hiltzik, who's kind of a a legend in crisis communication, hired me. Mm -hmm. Spent two years with him, figuring out how to bring in my own business and my own clients. Worked with some really interesting clients. Who were some of your clients? Were you in a particular industry Kind of across a number of industries, but through relationships, met Draymond Green, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, and I was able to represent him and, and handle his communications. I worked with a major union, the largest public sector union in California, so I was able to kind of use my political background in some of their messaging and getting some of the, the word out about what they were doing. I worked with a nonprofit out of Florida. They created a business program in the school where these kids were actually developing a, a hot sauce product and a salsa product and selling it in stores. So I was helping them. So a very diverse wide range. Mm -hmm. So did that for two years, learned a lot. And then I was fortunate enough to be hired by relevant sports group and relevant is the owner and operator of something called the international champions cup. Mm -hmm. The ICC, as we call it is a summer soccer tournament where all the big teams from Europe, the real Madrid, the Barcelona the Manchester United. They all come to the United States and Asia every summer to play exhibition matches or preseason matches. And they draw hundreds of thousands of fans. These are the biggest brands in the world. And basically what Relevant did was created a tournament. These exhibition matches became real preseason matches in this preseason tournament. We have a women's tournament. We have a youth tournament, a futures tournament. We have a joint venture with La Liga, where we basically run their marketing operations in the U.S. La Liga is the biggest Spanish soccer league and one of the biggest leagues in the world. And we also have a content operation where we have original digital shows, Mm -hmm we release documentaries. We have a number of really exciting things going on. And I'm the head of communications here. And as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, like you sense that I'm in a good space and, and I really am to be back in the sports world and to be talking about some of the great things that we're doing around sports. I didn't originally grow up a soccer guy. I was more like a traditional American sports fan of like basketball and football and baseball. However, I've really taken to the sport I think any American sports fan, if they were exposed to soccer the right way, would appreciate and understand why it's the world's game and why there's more soccer fans and more people playing soccer.
0: So you're a convert now? Are you like actually more of a soccer fan than let's say an NBA fan?
1: You know, I'm a a big Miami Heat fan, Mm -hmm. but I watch soccer. I love it. It is addicting. It is an endless rabbit hole because of how massive the industry is. So once you start getting into it, there's never... Never enough searching on Google to learn more.
0: So what do you actually do for these tournaments? I'm assuming you get to go to them.
1: I really do a zillion different things. There is the events communications business where I'm in charge of, you know, running media for a major soccer tournament, everything for making sure the press conferences run smoothly with the managers and coaches and players before and after. Making sure we're sending out press releases on the results, making sure that we are getting enough publicity in many different ways so that we're selling enough tickets, like all of that stuff. From a corporate communication standpoint, it's making sure that the industry understands from a business to business perspective what relevant sports is doing to yeah. help attract different sponsorship opportunities or other potential deals with different clubs or, or leagues or federations. So there's a real corporate communication side. And it all comes down to like strategy and planning.
0: Right now in the pandemic, you were telling me that you've had to deal with a lot of crisis communications and Relevant is owned by Stephen Ross, right? So he has a bunch of other companies that he'll
1: use you for. <laughs> to some extent. I mean, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the owner of Related Properties, one of the smartest, most successful, you know.
0: Billionaires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a
1: billionaire. <laughs> um, he owns Relevant Sports and the creation of Relevant Sports shows his entrepreneurial thinking. When he purchased the Miami Dolphins, he realized you only use the Dolphins stadium for, I don't know, 19 games a year. And he had a soccer match in the stadium and it had like 65,000 people sold out. He he wasn't selling out Dolphins games at the time. And he was like, I'm not a soccer guy, but like there is clearly something here. So he was like, introduced me to the promoter of the match.
0: When was that, by the way? When did he make that move?
1: That was like eight or nine years ago. And he met the uh, promoter, and the two of them actually went into business and created Relevant from there. But yeah, he's one of the smartest guys, and he's an investor in a number of companies. And, and when, when COVID hit, and a number of these companies were having to do different things to try to survive, on the one hand, or, or on the other hand, they were doing different initiatives to try to help people in need or their employees. I think that's part of his family of businesses, everyone kind of lends a hand to one another. And for me, growing up, as you know, because you didn't hear me shut up about it when we worked together. <laughs> Working for the owner of the Miami Dolphins is nice for me as well because I can openly cheer for my hometown team. So, being in this family of businesses, I'm introduced to a lot of really really smart people and continue to learn a lot. Sometimes it's hard to believe like I was on this track to be a reporter and really I think that my goal was ESPN and then and then when I was in news I'm like, so I'll just keep trying to climb the ladder and go to LA or New York or CNN or whatever. And at some point I said to myself, I didn't want to do news. And like, would I be any happier at any of those places or would I just be doing the same thing? And when I got to the point where like, I am just trying to continue to climb the ladder for ego or for, I don't even know why I was trying to do it.
0: Just ambition to be at the pinnacle of your industry, but was it really giving you the kind of happiness that you were actually searching for?
1: Exactly. And when I finally realized that, like, even if I went to CNN and was a reporter for CNN, I would still be in the same place. And that's when I decided to make the career change. And to think that one conversation in 2012 led to this complete change in career is totally great to think about. I kind of talked about myself as like Forrest Gump a little bit. I find myself (laughs) in certain places and I'm like, how did I, how did I get here? So (laughs) it's your box of chocolates. Exactly.
0: But you know what? You did tell me that you're still doing something related to news in the documentary that you just released, right?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that was interesting about what Relevant has had to do during the pandemic is diversify. So we had to cancel all of our live events for 2020, which was incredibly sad and a lot of work went went into them. But we were shifting our focus at that point to content. And we already had this documentary in the works and it was about a player out of Norway. Her name is Ada Hegerberg and she's one of the best women's soccer players in the world. She is famous for being the first, it's called the Ballon d'Or. It's the MVP for the best footballer in the world. And they did the inaugural one for a woman to receive the award and she won the first. Cool. So she got a lot of notoriety for that. She actually, a few years ago, decided to step back and stopped participating for the Norway national team because she felt that there was unequal treatment towards men and women. In 2019, that meant she wasn't able to play in the World Cup. So here is the best player in the world who had the opportunity to play on the biggest stage in the world. And she's electric. She's an incredible player. She's someone who would have gotten a ton of media attention, Mm -hmm. a ton of endorsements, decided that she wasn't going to do it because she wasn't going to sacrifice her principles. Good
0: for her. Standing her ground, yeah.
1: If it was a male player, if it was Ronaldo or Messi, it would have been one of the biggest stories in the world. But, you know, you who's attached to news, never heard of her. That was the thing. No one really was telling her story. No one was really telling it the right way. So we wanted to do that. So we flew to Paris where we had, she had been in our tournament before. So we had met her, but we went and She's not someone who wanted to necessarily chess beat or whatever about what she did. She wanted people to focus on her career as a player as opposed to something else. But we convinced her that it was an important story to tell and that we were the right people to tell it. And,
0: and it's the right time, too, right? Especially with all the attention around pay
1: differential, the salary differentials. Exactly.
0: Was that one of the primary things she was pushing for in terms of reform or...
1: I think it was a combination of pay, but it was also basic respect. You know, she tells a story about the men got their shoes and then the women got their shoes and the women's shoes, the sizes didn't fit and they didn't even care. And the men would get to play on the best kept fields and the women would have to play, you know, either off hours or on torn up fields. So for her, it was almost bigger than just pay. That's that's part of it. It was a respect thing, right? Right. So film came out. It's on ESPN Plus. Hope everyone watches it.
0: What's the title again?
1: My name is Ada Hegerberg and ESPN Plus, their streaming service, it's there now. I think she's a really important uh, figure and, and I hope you guys get to see more of her. Nike just signed her, so she's been doing some commercials. So nice. Pretty amazing. So yeah, so to your point, I get to try to do so many different things and honored that I got a production credit on it.
0: Did you voice it or are you in it?
1: I am not in it. My role was really working with Ada to make sure that she was comfortable doing the film. And and I had a relationship with her.
0: That's also a beginning for you, Ben. Is this your first documentary ever?
1: The first documentary I've been involved with. Who knows if there'll be another, but really fortunate about working in a place. and, And my CEO that I work for, Daniel Silman, is incredibly dynamic and supportive of really all of his employees wants everyone to grow and have different opportunities. So I'm fortunate that I've had that opportunity. It's been terrific. And um really proud of the film. And we're putting it up for a number of awards. So we'll see what happens. And that's another thing that falls into my list of different things I do. So I'm submitting them for the awards, you know?
0: Yeah. You're not just a cool job, bucket list career. You're kind of like a whole slew of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: to, to, to some extent.
0: We want to try to give people some advice, of course, takeaways, if you will. Maybe there's one, maybe you have more than one, but if you could boil it down to what you would want people to know about how to get after it, get paid, do what you love.
1: Right. So a few things, and I don't know if these are universal for everyone, but they certainly guided me, even from college. One is, I think I was willing to be adventurous. So when my friends at Penn were applying to law school and medical school and trying for traditional careers, which I totally respect, you know, we need, we need lawyers and we need doctors, of course. but at least for me, I was kind of interested in being adventurous. I wanted to try a career that was not typical. That followed me kind of throughout trying to find that first job. You know, I think a lot of people, when they send out a hundred tapes, you know, and get that call from Scott's bluff might say, you know, maybe (laughs) there's a different path maybe I can go to New York and be a production assistant and work for a, a major station as a writer, start there. But for me, I wanted to be on air. I wanted to try to be a sportscaster. Yeah. So I was, I was willing to be adventurous. I think too, for me, and this is something that as you get older is harder. And I was still young when I, when I made this decision, but I, I think you can't be afraid to pivot. When I realized I wasn't on the right path and it wasn't the path for me, I found smart people, I got advice, and I pivoted. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful that I was able to do that.
0: If you hadn't asked that question, you know, you had those talking heads that you mentioned. If you hadn't just said, hey, I'm interested in something else, you hadn't networked, you wouldn't have worked for the mayor.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I wasn't afraid to pivot. I wasn't afraid to put myself out there. I think it's harder when you have a family. I think it's harder when you are much older and you're concerned about finances and finding another job or not knowing stuff. But I think that you have to be willing to find your path and take your own path. So I would say, one, be willing to be adventurous. Two, don't be afraid to pivot. Yeah, And then this goes back to some of the other stuff that we were just talking about, which is really, I try to make sure that I have no ceilings. Hmm. You know, If there's something that you're interested in doing that you don't know how to do, learn how to do it. I did not know PR, I learned how to do PR. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school for it, you know. Different things I do here, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, but I learn and I do it and you really can't be afraid of failure. One of the things I always tell our CEO is that like I didn't go to business school. I don't have a natural affinity for business the way other people do. But now that I'm in kind of the corporate world, like I want to know more about business. I want to learn about the business world. I want to learn about the different deals that you're making and what you're looking for. I want to learn about investing and what's smart and all these different things. And and I'm always bugging him. Let me sit in on different conversations. Let me hear what your thought processes are. And he's always open to that. And he's always willing to, in a lot of ways, mentor me in that space. So I think like no ceilings, there's not an area where I want to put a limit on what I can know or what I could do. And I want to kind of want to stay curious.
0: Those are good. I mean, I, I felt the last one, especially because I didn't know what I was doing when I started this podcast.
1: Exactly. I think you were willing to really do all three. You know, I think it's adventurous to start a new career and you're able to use your journalism skills that you've mastered over many years. I think you have pivoted from behind an anchor desk to do this and definitely no ceilings.
0: I've incorporated all the Ben Sisenko takeaways.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Check out Ben's documentary. One more plug Aloud. <laughs>
1: My name is Ada Hegerberg, and also look for International Champions Cup coming to a city near you in 2021 and a lot of other cool events coming your way.
0: All right, let's do a quick recap of Ben's takeaways. Be adventurous. Make fearless pivots. I especially like that one. And no ceilings. That's good, too. If you don't train or get a degree in an area and you think it'll lead to growth, he's saying, learn creatively, or just get into it and learn along the way. On the next episode of Bucketless Careers, I'm talking to a host of CBS's Lifestyle Today. She's very stylish and engaging. She has more than a thousand TV appearances under her belt. And she's taking us through her path to TV hosting and lifestyle branding success. Speaking of branding, my new website is out. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's easy to remember. It's bucketlesscareerspodcast.com. I'll be adding some videos in addition to blogs. And of course, the new episodes can be found there. They can also be found on the Believe Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. And remember, if you want to chat bucketlist careers topics between episodes, you can DM me on Instagram. It's at CD Life three, the number three. Or you can find me on Twitter at Krista I'd love to connect with you. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks so much for being with me.